Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about eternal life. Now, the name... Chin Chi Wong probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but Chin Chi Wong was the first emperor of the ancient imperial Qin dynasty in China. And apparently he wanted to be the last. He wanted to live forever. In imperial China at that time, they believed in certain elixirs of life, these certain cocktails that people would drink uh, that they thought might give a person eternal life. Well, one of those elixirs was the element mercury in which Chin took in hopes of becoming immortal. But as you might guess, it actually hastened his death. It actually killed him. He died at the ripe old age of 39 due to mercury poisoning. Ever since man's choice of sin has marred our world and brought death into it, mankind has sought to somehow conquer death and gain immortality. If you're visiting with us today, we're continuing our series entitled Rediscover Jesus, where we are preaching through the book of John. And today we're going to be in a very famous chapter in John's narrative, John chapter 3. It's probably the best known chapter in the entire gospel of John. And John chapter 3 is a chapter that talks a lot about eternal life. The most familiar verse in John chapter 3, of course, is John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this is a verse that brings so much hope to so many people. This is a promise from God to you, to me, that life, eternal life, can be found if we seek it out, but it can only be found in God's son, Jesus Christ. So if we are in Christ, we have the promise that we will live forever. W.B. Henson was a great preacher of a past generation, and he spoke from his own experience right before he died. He said, quote, I remember a year ago when the doctor told me you have an illness from which you will not recover. He said, I walked out of the doctor's office where I live, five miles from Portland, Oregon. I looked across the mountain that I loved. I looked at the river in which I rejoice. And then in the evening, I looked up into the great sky where God was lighting his lamps. And I said, I may not see you many more times, but mountain, I shall be alive when you're gone. And river, I shall be alive when you cease running towards the sea. And stars, I shall be alive when you have fallen from your sockets in the great downpulling of the material universe. You see, that's the hope that we have in John 3.16, that we can have eternal, everlasting life. John 3.16 is red letter, which means this is not John's narrative 
It's not John writing. He is directly quoting Jesus Christ himself. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk, first of all, about what, what prompts Jesus to say that. What prompts him to, to say those words? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Well, it's an, it stems from this interaction that Jesus has in the third chapter of John with a man named Nicodemus. How many of you have heard this story? It's a very famous story. Um, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. And if you know anything about the New Testament, the Pharisees were declared enemies of Jesus. They harassed him. They followed him around. They persecuted him. They were ultimately responsible for his death. They were great enemies of Jesus, but not Nicodemus. Even though he was a Pharisee, he was not an enemy. He was actually a seeker. He was seeking the truth. He was seeking eternal life. Now, we're told in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus seeks Jesus at night. It's the very first episode of Nick at Night. And so Nicodemus, you know, I've heard that he, he comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid that the other Pharisees will see him. I don't think that's the case. I, one of the things about Jesus that we often overlook is that he had thousands of people pressing on him everywhere, everywhere he went. And so the, he probably sought him at night because that was when he could find Jesus alone. And you, if you know the chapter of John chapter 3, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it because I want to concentrate on something else. Um, but there's this famous exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is seeking the truth. He's seeking eternal life. And Jesus says something strange to him. He says, well, Nicodemus, if you want this, you must be born again. And Nicodemus only says three statements in the entire chapter, but I want you to notice his response in verse four of John chapter three. Jesus says, hey, you want eternal life. You want to live forever. You want to seek the truth. You've got to be born again. Well, Nicodemus says in verse four, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, I think that's a valid question. Nicodemus is saying, what in the world are you talking about? I'm an old man. How, how can I be born again? I can't climb back into my mother's womb and have her rebirth me. This is absolutely impossible. Well, Jesus will eventually tell him, hey, you're focusing on the physical. What I'm talking about is spiritual. Nicodemus, you must have a spiritual rebirth. If you want eternal life, I am the way to that life, but you have to be rebirthed. If you've been around here for a minute at Elevate Christian Church, there's a formula that we talk about very often, uh, not to, to beat a dead horse, but I want to remind you because this formula brings that to the forefront of our minds. And the formula is this, you are either born twice and die once, or you're born once and you die twice. In other words, you are born, you and I are born out of the womb physically. All of us have this physical birth. But many of us, many of you have had a second birth. You've had a spiritual rebirth. You have been born again. You have salvation. You've been saved. And so you're born twice and you only die once. You're going to die physically. Your body's, your heart's going to stop. Something's going to happen. You're going to die. But that's the only death you experience. When we die, we're in the presence of of, of God. 
But the second option is to only be born once and die twice, right? You're born physically, you die physically, and then you experience what the Bible calls the second death. That's hell separated from God. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, hey, you've got to have a spiritual rebirth, and it is happening through me. I think he's telling us the same thing too. He's saying, hey, you want to live forever? I can make that happen if you have a spiritual rebirth. If you're born again of the water in the spirit, that's that salvation experience that many of you have had. Now, the first 15 verses of the third chapter of John, Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus how we gain eternal life. But in verse 16, he pivots and he moves from the how to gain eternal life to the why it's even possible to get eternal life. Why would God even give us the opportunity to have eternal life? And you know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What's the why? The why is because God loves us. God loves you, God loves me. So what I want to do this morning is I want to spend some time in the in-between. John chapter 3 is this one continuous chapter with this encounter between Jesus and, and, and Nicodemus. And it deals with eternal life. And when we preach through John chapter 3, we often focus on that rebirth story or we'll focus on the eternal life promised in John uh, 3.16 but I want to talk about the the in-between here. And what I want to do for just a few minutes is I want to concentrate on verse 14. Okay, this is just two verses before the most famous line of Scripture is uttered from Jesus' lips. And I think we often overlook this verse in the Jesus-Nicodemus encounter. This is a verse that causes us to discover the fact that Jesus is the great bronze serpent. This is a verse that differentiates Jesus from the hundreds of thousands of other men who were crucified by the Roman Empire. It it, it was very common to be crucified. That was their form of, of capital punishment. But Jesus was just not a man hanging on a tree. He was a God man hanging on the cross of Calvary. He was different. And verse 14 points us to that. It's a very strange verse. Here's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Right before he says, God so loved the world. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. That's a strange verse to me because Jesus is comparing himself to a serpent in the wilderness. And when you think biblically, when you think of a serpent, what do do most of us think of? Genesis 3, the devil slithering around in the garden as a a serpent. So we read this, and and Jesus is calling himself a serpent. It's kind of confusing. I think Nicodemus, being a Jewish man, understood exactly what Jesus was saying. But in, in order for us to understand this strange verse, we've got to go back in history several thousand years into the Old Testament. 
we have to go back to the, the period of time when the Jewish people, God's people, were enslaved by the Egyptians. God set them free. They crossed the Red Sea, and they're in the wilderness waiting to take hold of the land that God promised them. Well, they, they grew very impatient. Um, the, the Israelites were chronic complainers, right? You could call them a bunch of Karens, right? If, you, if, you, if you've seen those memes about Karen, if your name's Karen, I feel sorry for you. But that, that's all they did was gripe and moan and, and complain. And so God said, all right, I, I'm, I'm tired of this. They were even begging Moses to take them back to Egypt. We'll be slaves again because God promised us all this. And, and even though he parted the Red Sea and he brings water from the rock and he does all these miracles, we don't trust him. We want to go back to Egypt. And God was like, okay. You're going to wander the wilderness for 40 years. This generation's going to die off because you are nothing but a bunch of complaining, chronic, disgruntled people, and I'm going to let this generation die off. So we're in the middle of that when we jump into the text that we're going to jump into this morning. It's in Numbers chapter 21, picking up in verse 4. From Mount Or, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us out of, up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food, there is no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So what they're talking about, this worthless food, is, you know, when you're in the desert, there's not a lot to eat. And so supernaturally, at night, God would rain literally bread from heaven. And they would go out and they would scrape it off the ground. It was called manna, and they would, they would cook it. And it was enough to provide for their needs that day. Nutritionally, uh, it kept them sustained. It kept them alive. And they said, you know, we're sick of this. We're sick of this loathsome food. We're tired of le living in tents. We're tired of wandering around the desert aimlessly. We're tired of not having a country. We're tired of not having a home. We are over it. And so the Lord has had enough of their griping and complaining. One thing about God that we don't like to talk about is God will never put up with a spirit of discontentment. That's one thing he does not tolerate. And so look what he does in verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now you read that, most scholars, when you see that word serpents, agree that these are venomous snakes. And they were grumbling and complaining and griping, and God sets these snakes loose, and they are full of poison. They bite the people, and people begin to die. Real quick, that word for fiery there in the translation of the Hebrew is the word seraph, which means burning. And when you break this, I'm not a Hebrew scholar at all. I have to work hard to even understand some of it. But when you break down the, the, the structure of this sentence, you'll discover that the word fiery is not necessarily, these aren't, these aren't snakes crawling around that are on fire. It's actually probably referring to uh, the, the, the sensation and the pain of, of a bite when the venom, uh, when, you, when, they, when the snake bites you and you begin to, to, to swell up. The inflammation caused by their venom. 
I don't know if any of you have ever been to Sweetwater Park. Uh, if you have it, you should. It's right in our backyard, just right down, down the road here. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, my family and I go there from time to time. We have family Fridays. We try to do that where we all, we'll all hang out. And a lot of times in the spring, we'll, we'll go to Sweetwater uh, Park just to, to hike and have a picnic. And it's beautiful there. One thing about Sweetwater Park is that if you look close enough, you're gonna, you can find snakes. There are snakes everywhere. And snakes don't bother me. Uh, if I see a snake, it doesn't, it, I, it, I don't run. I don't, it doesn't make me afraid. I don't mind picking snakes up. Now, mice, on the other hand, like these little, I have a, I, I think I literally have a phobia. If there was a mice that ran across the front of this church, I would be gone. You'd be on your own. Somebody else would have to get up and preach. But snakes, don't bother me. So we were at Sweetwater Park, and I happened to, uh, the kids and, and Lindy were, were down by the creek, and I was kind of off the beaten path looking around, and I happened to see a snake. And it was slithering away from me. And so I had the bright idea. I'm going to pick this thing up, all right, and I'm going to kind of edge back to them and turn around and go, ah, and, and, and scare them with a, with a live uh, snake. So while the snake was slithering away, I was trying to keep my eyes on them because I didn't want them to see what I was doing. And I bent down and I grabbed its tail. And, and my objection was I wanted, or my intention was to pull the snake and then grab it by its head, you know, pin it down and grab it by its head. So, but as I was pulling the snake, I was kind of looking at them because I didn't want them to see. And darn if that stupid thing did not coil up and bite me on my forearm. It, it, it bit me hard. It drew blood. So I went up to Lindy and I was like, hey, you see this? She's like, what in the world is that? I said, I got bit by a snake. And she said, okay, there's copperheads, there's, copperheads, there's water, mo- is, was it poisonous? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what we should do. And she said, well, maybe we should go to the hospital. And I said, well, let me give it some time. And I gave it a lot of time. I never went to the doctor. I'm still alive. Um, so I figured it was, it was okay. It, it wasn't poisonous. And, and one of the reasons I wasn't concerned is because when I got bit, um, I didn't feel, I didn't swell. I didn't feel like, like my arm was on fire. I didn't feel like my central nervous system was being attacked. So I figured it was, it was okay. Um, I did Google it, and based on the, my description matching with Google, it was probably a common northern water snake, completely harmless, no, no venom. And it was a bite without a burning sensation. Well, the snakes in the text that we're talking about were, were different. They were, they were venomous. They were poisonous. People were being bit and they were dying. And we would be remiss if we didn't just stop for one minute here and examine the spiritual symbolism. And the spiritual symbolism is this. The Bible tells us, instructs us very clearly that everybody who has ever been born has been bitten by sin. We've got the venom and the result of sin coursing through our flesh. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that, that the wages of this sin, the result of being bit by sin, having this sin in our lives, is death. We are sentenced to die. We've all been bitten. We've been cursed. And the net result is death. Not the first death, the second spiritual death. And there's nothing that you can do to fix the problem on your own. There's nothing that I can do to fix the problem on my own. God has a solution for the problem. We'll go back to Numbers. 
So these snakes are running around. They're biting everyone. People are dying. And look what happens, picking up in verse 7. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Yeah. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Okay, so basically they were contrite. They were like, hey, we blew it. We've been doing nothing but griping and complaining, and and we know that we were wrong. This is repentance here. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Now, I want you to see the magnitude of this. Uh, In the camp of Israel, uh, probably at least a million people, maybe two million. This is a large group of people. And so people were getting bit and they were dying everywhere. And they had to erect this giant pole with this giant snake on it so that everybody in the camp could see. So it wasn't small. This was large. Anywhere in the camp, if you got bit, you were to look at that snake on the pole and it would heal you. Verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is a very strange event. This is the event that Jesus is referring to back in our text, John chapter 3, when he says to Nicodemus, hey, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And many would ask this question, why would God have Moses make an, an, an idol or a model of the very same serpent, the very same creature that was biting people and causing people to die? I mean, that's strange, yeah? We're being bit by poisonous snakes, and the only thing that can cure us is to look at a, re- at a replica of the poisonous snake that's biting us on a pole? It's strange. But I would submit to you it's strangely beautiful. Because it points to Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, my friends, Jesus became sin for us. Jesus became the very thing that puts us in the eternal grave. He became the very thing that condemns us to die. He bore in his body that which brings spiritual death. It's a reoccurring theme, theme in the New Testament. I'm going to go quickly and rattle a couple of scriptures off here. Please stay awake. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, sin is what destroys us, and Jesus was made sin on the cross. Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That's strong words there. He condemned sin in the flesh. What that is basically saying is that when Jesus was on the cross, every every image of pornography you've ever looked at, every lustful thought you've ever had, every swear word, every sin that all of us committed was all thrust onto Jesus. And God condemned it. He poured his wrath out on the body of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We have been healed. 
You see, he bore our sins in his body. And the bronze serpent in Numbers chapter 24 points to Jesus. What's interesting is is that Moses didn't hide the bronze serpent back in that story. He lifted it up on a pole, but that pole was where everybody was able to see it. Jesus Christ was not crucified privately. He was executed on a hill publicly for all outside for all the world to see. And I think Jesus wants everyone to know, including you, that he is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to eternal life. Acts 4.12, and there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He said as much himself in John 14.6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was the only cure. He is the only cure. He's the only way for us to gain eternal life. Now, what's interesting is, I'm flipping back between the Old and New Testament, is is that story, uh, the snakes were slithering around and they were biting everyone. They were full of poison, but the bronze snake on the pole was just like Jesus Christ. There was no poison in him. Scripture tells us there was no sin in Jesus. And this bronze serpent was sufficient for all people. It didn't matter how many times you were bitten. It didn't matter how old or young you were. It didn't matter if you were male or female. It didn't matter what your status was in the camp, socioeconomic or popularity status. It didn't matter your condition. If you looked towards the bronze serpent, you were healed. And the work of Jesus on the the cross is sufficient to wash away any and all the sin in our lives. And so that's why you'll hear me say over and over again that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been with, no matter what you've done, salvation is yours for the taking and that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. I'm going to jump back to numbers real quick. Verses 8 and 9. It says, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. I don't want you to miss this because this is a very crucial point. A deliberate act of faith is what saved the people. Now, what was that deliberate act of faith? They were only saved if they looked to the bronze serpent. If we want eternal life, we have to look to Jesus because he is our bronze serpent. I want you to think about something. Sin and death, how did it come into the world? Think about all the sin in the world that everyone's committed. How did it come into the world? Sin and death came into the world through a look. Just through a look. You remember Genesis chapter 3? It's the the account of the the fall of mankind, of Adam and Eve. They're at the the forbidden tree, and there's this forbidden fruit hanging. And you have have Satan, the slithering serpent. And he's like, you know, you need to eat this. God doesn't want you to eat this because he doesn't want you to know what he knows. And and, and there's a dilemma. They know what God tells them they should do, but they're, they're there. 
And sin came into the world simply by a look. Look at Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw, when she looked, that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her knucklehead husband who was there with her, and he ate. You see, sin entered into the world through a look. And the only deliverance from sin and eternal death is through a look, a look of faith, by looking, by casting our eyes on Jesus. That's why the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 45, 22, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. There's a classic hymn that I, I, I love this hymn, and it's, uh, it's set to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And there's this particular line in this hymn that I absolutely love. It goes like this, quote, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun of love. Now, the reason I like that is because I like the picture that the writer of this hymn is trying to portray. He's saying, just like there are certain flowers, which are called heliotropic flowers, like, like sunflowers, what they do in the morning is they turn their faces to the sun and they follow the sun all the way across the sky because they feed and they grow off the sun. And so our hearts, our souls need to turn towards the face of Jesus because he's the one that provides life to our souls. And so you go back to John chapter 3. Nicodemus wants eternal life and Jesus says, well, you have to be born again. He says, hey, you have to, to look at me. When I'm on the cross, much like Israel had to look at the serpent on the pole, look at me, Nicodemus, and I will give you eternal life. And the great thing about Jesus and the scary thing is that he could read people's minds. And so I know Nicodemus was thinking, well, why in the world would God do that? And then he utters that word, those famous words, John 3, 16. Here's why. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You've heard me say this before if you've been around a minute. I've been here 20 years. I always run out of material. We often focus on the word loved, for God so loved the world. But I would invite you to focus on that word so. For God so loved you that he gave his only son. That if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. When I was a freshman in high school, um, I got asked out to the homecoming dance by a sophomore. Now, for me, that was a status thing. I was like, oh, yeah, I got a lady, and she's an older lady. I'm just a measly freshman, and, and I've, you know, I got this older lady. And, and I, I was like chest out, pumped up. I'll never forget. I know this is going online. Her name is Betsy McGrew, and she was cute as a button, and I was just thrilled to death that she asked me to go to homecoming. I was super excited. I got all dressed up. Now, remember, this is the 80s. 
where fashion went to die. And so I had some kind of get up on me, I had parachute pants and a mullet, whatever. And, 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 you know, I was a freshman, I didn't have a car. So my dad drove me to her house, picked her up and we, I took her to the Golden Corral. <laughs> this is before the Golden Corral was a, like a, a feeding trough. It was like a real legit steakhouse. And so my dad sat at another table and we ate and it was weird. She was acting weird. And so after that, he took us to the homecoming dance, dropped us off. And before we even got into the dance, she just stopped me. And like I say, she was acting super, super weird. And she broke up with me right there before we went into the dance. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, hey, man, hey, Kevin, I'm just not into you. So I just started dancing with other girls. Three and a half hours, four hours later, my dad came to pick us up and it was the most awkward ride home, dropping her off. And all the way home, I just, that kept going through my mind. I'm just not into you. I'm just not into you. I want you to look at me. I think some of you walked in here feeling just like that. You feel like God's just not into you. You feel like how in the world could he possibly love me? How in the world? There is no way he could ever forgive me for all that I've done. And I want to proclaim a truth to you. Nothing could be farther from the truth. God is so into you. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He sent his son to die for you. He came to offer eternal life. But we have to look to him, to call on his name, to be born again. He is the only cure for the poison of sin that courses through our flesh. Do you, have you, will you trust in him for eternal life? Do you know what the international medical symbol is if you're looking for a doctor anywhere in the world? It's a snake on a pole. It's a serpent on a pole. <laughs> what a coincidence, right? I love our healthcare workers, our doctors, our nurses, our pharmacists. And since March, I've loved you even more. But I think you would even readily admit you can't save anyone's life. You can, you can prolong it for a few years, but everyone dies. Jesus is called the great physician. He came to heal not our physical lives all the time, but our souls. And if we trust in him, we will not die. There was a man who went to a cemetery for a graveside burial and he left well ahead of the procession. And so he had some time to kill while he was waiting for the funeral procession to get there. And so he occupied himself by reading epitaphs, by reading these things on the tombstones. Uh, and he saw one across the way that caught his attention. It said this, death is eternal. And he thought to himself, that's the most depressing thing I've ever seen on a, on a tombstone. But when he went nearer to the tombstone, he found that there was a smaller stone that had, had obscured part of the reading. The full message read this, death is eternal life. You see, we're either 
born twice and die once, or we're born once and we die twice. Death is eternal life means I was born from my mother's womb. And one day, somewhere along the way, God got a hold of my heart and I repented and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was born again of the water and the Spirit. I was immersed into Christ and the Holy Spirit flooded my life. And now I will only die physically. And when I die physically, I will live forever ever afterwards. That's my hope for you. Death is eternal life. I want to invite you to discover Jesus, the bronze serpent, to look to him, to keep your eyes focused on him, and he will guide you to eternal life. For the rest of you who are old heads like me in here, who've been around the church for a minute, we need to rediscover that. Because as I've said throughout the whole duration of this series, we have taken our eyes off Jesus and focused on viruses and politics and arguing and fussing and complaining. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.